Hello and welcome along to On The Whistle. We have an exciting show for you this week. We want to discuss, we want to address how we can keep our best talent on the continent. I'm glad to say we're all fit and firing today, so our starting lineup is looking pretty lethal. Joining us from Cameroon is Yaoundé's finest, Francis Nguyen, a sports media executive and the founder of the Best of Africa Awards. We also have former Premier League soccer winner and Manning Rangers defender Courtney Fries. And alongside him, our North African football expert, Ahmed Youssef. Gentlemen, how are you doing today? Pretty well, thank you. All good, Zane. Very well, thank you. Okay, thank you. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Brilliant to have you guys here again. And I'm going to get straight into our listener questions now because we love hearing from them. Both this week, coming from South Africa, actually. So home ground for me and Courtney. First up, we're going to hear a comment from Nimlin Naidu, who has a reaction to the past show where we discussed FIFA's Project Africa. Hi, Zane and team. Great show. And some good perspectives. Not 100% sure about a biennial Afcon, but I think joint hosting is a good way to split the cost for countries. I think CAF, with the aid of FIFA, needs to turn these TV rights into a golden goose. So exposure to markets beside the usual European market will help our current and future African stars. I think also the FIFA Club World Cup should be rotated amongst continents. Perhaps played every two years, made up of, let's say, eight teams. Um, as mentioned in your show, there are plenty of African tycoons, such as Dangote, Motsepe. So we should be able to get more European teams playing in Africa, especially in the off-season. Thanks for a good show. Nimlin, so good to hear your thoughts. And I think the key for me is whenever we think of solutions for the continent, we need to think what works for Africa. Not what works for Europe, what works for us. And it comes from our minds and our thinkers. Now, second up, we have Freddie Cochran, and he is asking about the declining standards of African football on the international stage. In terms of um, African football, it would be um, interesting to get the views on others of what's led to the uh, consistent decline over the last uh, 10 years or so. Ever since the World Cup in South Africa, our teams really haven't done well. Um, they haven't performed well at World Cups. Um, in um, Russia, no team managed to make the second round. And um, uh, our clubs don't do well at the, 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 the international club competition. Um, yeah, we've, we've been caught and overtaken by um, the Asians, that's the Koreans and the Japanese, by the Central, uh, Central Americans some good teams coming out of there and i think most 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 teams uh, i think uh, i mean i think teams like the usa and, and even teams from from other parts of the world would 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 compete well against us now so really um we need to understand how that decline happened and and that's our starting point to try and fix the situation so guys i'm going to use a courtneyism that is a bison of a question, and I'm sure we can actually spend an entire show talking about it. But um, be good to get everyone's reaction, so let's go around the horn. I would just say, Zane, um, there is no one answer to that question. That is such a, that is such a good question because it's looking at the, the total decline. There, there, there are multiple things. After leadership plays a huge role where you have one person with the mindset of the league 
and I mean the national team being the strongest team within the country and not the um, the other teams in the country. And then also it's this thing of training and coaching, the, the huge difference there where the players are being educated at a very, very good level by good coaches. Now, if you, you don't have those two aspects gelling with the mindset of making the national team better, the national team is always going to decline because players are going to only want to play for their clubs. Yeah, I, I think um, from my perspective on this one, it's, it seems that if you look at the actual amount of players, who are, African players who are playing in Europe, it, it's increased a lot. And since 2010, you look at the last Af African final and the majority of the players who played on that pitch were playing in Europe. So it's, for me, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult one because it's not the actual individuals that are, the quality of the individuals is actually probably increased, but it seems as they can't really come together and, and have that tight knit squad. And um, I think, yeah, they, they, you kind of, you, you're putting um, people from all different playing styles and, and they've been taught different things. And, and they just don't fit well together. And if you look at, you know, in 2006 to 2010, Ivory Coast had the strongest squad in Africa. Um, but individually, players-wise, Drogba, Yael Torre, Kolo Torre, they couldn't come together. Whereas Egypt, who are, have a lot of homegrown players who weren't that big, but played with each other week in, week out, they were the ones that were able to, to do better. And I think that's what African football lacks now. I think uh, it's an amazing question, really, really powerful. And um, most importantly, as well as the ability in answering something like this, is I think we lack generally in our spaces um, coordinated visions for our national football. So what you have sometimes is the absence of a transition from an under-17 to an under-21 system that finds itself applying itself at the national team, A-team level. And so... I think a reason for this decline has been the absence of such, but many countries are beginning to put in place such things, creating centers of excellence. But with the players also being over-exported, we also run the challenge of not being able to have these systems or a national style of play, so to speak, um, identified early and having the participants who are supposed to roll it out when these big tournaments come around apply themselves. Gentlemen, thank you for sharing your thoughts on that subject. I mean, it really is a big issue and one I think we can dedicate more time to on future shows, but it actually bleeds in very nicely to our next subject and our big talker for the week. And that's how we keep our best players on the continent for longer. And we'll be joined by two former internationals to talk about it next. Well, it's time for the big talker today, and our subject matter is, is it possible to keep our best players on the continent for longer? But before we get going, I just wanted to welcome our very special guest today, former Egyptian international, Yasha Al-Shanawani, and Sierra Leone's Mohamed Kalon. Welcome, gentlemen. For the benefit of our listeners, I'm just going to recap some of your career highlights. I hope you'll just give me a second to do that. Yasser is a former Egyptian international who played in Africa, Europe, and the Middle East. Yasser played for Egyptian teams, but is best known for his spells at Al-Masri, Ismaile, and Al-Itiad Alexandria. Great to have you join us. And for Mohammed, where do I begin? Uh, how about this? You are Sierra Leone's greatest export in terms of football. You played in the AFCON in 1996 in South Africa, where you impressed as a teenager by scoring a goal in each of Sierra Leone's group games. I'm sure that brings back fond memories. 
You've gone and graced the field for European giants like Inter Milan and Monaco, playing in Syria, Ligue 1 and the Champions League. And you also won the Asian Champions League with Saudi Arabia's Al Ittihad. Now you own a football team in Freetown called Callan FC, and they play in the Sierra Leone National Premier League. I think by virtue of the fact that your father is away, uh, Mohammed, can you tell us uh, where exactly you are and uh, what's going on in your world at the moment? It's been crazy. It's been crazy, I mean, for the past two, three months. I'm in Houston, Texas, in America. And you know the pandemic is driving everyone crazy at the moment. Um, so uh, uh, I came to um, Houston five years ago, six years ago, and I'm working with the Houston Dynamo Football Club, the MLS team. I'm working with the academy. I'm coaching with the U17, U19, and U23s. I'm currently doing my uh, pro license in Italy, UEFA license, the last one. And um, that's how I get caught up with the coronavirus. That's why we stand still here. I, I tell you what, Mohammed, you, you sound so busy. I think if you tallied up the work for me, Courtney, Francis, and Ahmed, you'd, you'd still be doing more than us. Um, but so grateful you could make time because I know it's early morning in, in Houston at the moment. Um, yes, sir. Like the rest of us, you're based in London. Welcome. How has the lockdown been treating you? Um, actually, lockdown is, is different before and now. Now, because it's Ramadan, you know, Ramadan now we are fasting and like that, and uh, you're always praying and read Quran and all this stuff. So it's it's okay. But before it was lockdown, because here in London, we don't have like in the, the rest of Europe that you can stay home and you take permission to go out. So you can go. But the people here understand. So they go out only for supermarket, pharmacy, or just for running. So I hope this time is good to stay with yourself, to change a lot of things. And I think that lockdown. Even it's bad, but for sure it will take something good from it. Absolutely. I like to hear that positivity. Now it's time to get stuck into our big talker today. And that question is, is it possible to keep our best players on the continent for longer? Now, before we answer that question, I wanted to set the scene for people out there who might not be aware of what some of the best leagues and clubs might be doing on the African continent so people can understand what some of the success stories are on the continent. Um, Courtney, Ahmed, would you guys like to kick us off? Well, from, um, from the perspective of the PSL, uh, and, and we've touched on this before, traditionally the, the, the strengths have just been uh, you, if you look individually at players, they have produced some outstanding players. If you go far back as Mark Fish, Lucas Rodebe, there has been a culture of exceptionally good players that have come out of there. Phil Masinga. The, the, the core thing about the league is that you have a high degree of fit players that play in that league and are able to play in high temperatures as well, which is something that I think always needs to be taken into consideration, especially like during the month of Ramadan. Uh, football is playing during these high temperatures as well. I think um, in terms of when you look at some of the North African leagues, you've got uh, specifically in Egypt, you have, there are a number of uh, clubs, you know, Ahli, Zemelik, um, you can even now include pyramids that have a, a large financial backing. And I think um, if it goes down on what some of the clubs are doing right, they're getting the, some of the sponsorships, right? You've got, um, and, and the financial backing to enable them to kind of keep on some of the players. We, we talk about the majority of the players do leave Africa and, and that is the case, but there have been cases of, you know, Abu Trika, um, some of the Ahli players last generation who have stayed. And that's because 
um, they do pay well and um, they have a large fan base um, and, and that can help drive their sponsorship even more. So, um, and I think introduction of these new uh, super rich owners will help develop those leagues further. Um, but having said that, that's very few leagues in the whole of Africa who have that, that facility to be able to, to do that. Mohammed, I know that you're based in Houston and you, you're working there at the moment, but you also own Kellen FC in Sierra Leone. From a West African perspective, what are your thoughts as a club owner on how we can keep our talent on the continent for longer? Oh, that's a difficult question. That's, a di that's difficult for West Africa. Probably it might be much more easier in the, in the East Africa, South Africa, because they are in... Um, Financially, I mean, they have the advantage. They have huge sponsorship. They have, I mean, TV rights and, I mean, other stuff. Like for West Africa, like for Sierra Leone, it's impossible for us to even maintain players in Africa. We don't have that much resources to actually, I um, mean, make the players comfortable. So as a given opportunity, they want to leave. They want to leave by their managers, by their parents, and they will force you to let them go because you can actually sustain them in Sierra Leone. Like you mentioned, Egypt. Egypt can do that every day because they are financially advantaged. So if you look at the team that we played against in the Asian Champions League, no, the Club World Cup in Japan, the El Ali team, where they have the Uma, Ahmed Hassan, Abu Tika, they kept those guys for 20 years in Egypt. We can do that in Sierra Leone, for instance, like FC Cologne. We're a smaller club. I mean, I'm the only sponsor for my club. So it's impossible for me to keep vital or good players. Like, for instance, at the moment, we have like nine players with the senior national team. So for the past 10 years, 90% of the senior national team are players coming from FC Cologne. So most of them are in Sweden, in Norway, Denmark. They come in and play for the national team and represent the national team. So that's how we compete. So if I restrict my players from going out overseas, then that, that would be difficult for the country to even participate in major tournaments. No, that, that completely makes sense. Um, I can see why that would be difficult. And I can see that Francis has a thought on this. So, Francis, would you like to come in? No, I'm just going to second the point uh, that Brother Mohammed just made over there because uh, one of the greatest challenges we have in the African space is the question of finance, um, issues around uh, TV rights, issues around sponsorships. The South African League is strong uh, because if you think back, if I, I believe it's 2007 or so, uh, ABSA struck a deal for about $60 million. The ability to inject this sort of capital into a league allows these leagues to retain their talent. And so you see less exploitation of players out of the South African market space, same like with the Egyptian market space, because they can fulfill their dreams at base. We lack these structures in a lot of our domestic leagues. Uh, Sierra Leone is, has been highlighted by our brother. I live in Cameroon at present. It's a similar thing over here where the average club runs on a budget of about 40,000 USD, which is a subsidy. That kind of money is the money individual players make in, in the championship on a weekly basis. So, and because of globalization, the players know that they can, they want to go elsewhere because it's their livelihood, it's their jobs. Some of the clubs have built business models where they're selling clubs. So. The paradigm that keeps them afloat is the ability to identify young talent, but also push them out. And that exit strategy inadvertently destroys the domestic leagues. So there are multiple elements to it, but they all speak to the, at the core. The business is operated by money. And the money 
doesn't exist in a lot of our spaces. And then you add to that the really dodgy structures that we have that sit on top for management, leave a lot to be desired in the space. But there is hope. There really is hope because a lot of people, a lot of individuals, a lot of nations are need to invest more in their spaces, invest more in their needs. I think that's a valid point. And something that I can see keeping players is good coaching. Now, let me make this point. In South America, Neymar did not leave Santos. Neymar did not leave Brazil until he had some formative years at Santos before making that move to Barcelona. And he's not the only one. Colombian Falcao came through the River Plate system before coming to Europe. And you also have players like William, who did their formative years on their continent, in their hometown, therefore, in their hometowns, therefore giving those South American fans an opportunity to watch them play, those clubs to benefit from those players being in the system. When we look at coaching on the African continent, yes, sir, is there any club, is there any league that you see as um, investing and, and putting in the right models to, to, to coaching? Um, first of all, I totally agree with Mohammed about uh, Everything is come financial now. It's everything is now about money because football now is just a business. But there are some players now, these things. So for example, if we take a, um, uh, as an example in Egypt, most of the player, if he's a good player, he's thinking to go to the big team in Egypt, like Ahli Azamalik. But if he have opportunity to go in Europe, it would be so good for him. But there are some teams, because these teams, they have TV rights, they have money from uh, TV, they have... Uh, they have businessmen that they support them like Ahli, like Zamalek, like now one team is Pyramids. One, one team is called Pyramids, it's just two, three years only in Egypt because they have someone uh, from Saudi Arabia. They have a lot of money, so they keep the player. They keep the player a long time because they give them what they want. Because the player now, everyone they think now it's about money, not about football, so about money. So some teams like Ahli, Zamalek, Pyramids is the, big, is the biggest team in Africa, they have support from businessmen, money, TV rights, so they can keep they can keep the players. But other players, all of them, they just want to go outside in Europe. And now everyone in Egypt, for example, every family have any kids, they dream to be Mo Salah because Salah he he make now very very big example for all Arab and African players. That's what he did in in with Liverpool. So everyone he think to be the same as Salah. So to keep the players, you need to give them all what they want, money, coaching, everything. But if not, so everyone, they think because they see Europe as an example, life, money, and famous. So if we keep these things in our country, we will keep the players. I agree. I think um, a lot of it is, you know, to do with the fact that if they want to go there, um, it, it, there's actually probably contradicts in the sense that there's uh, previously we saw a lot of the North African players in Egypt, they stayed in Egypt, in Ahli and Zamalek. And I think the reason for those players stayed there was because it hadn't been a, a limelight or somebody who'd done it before them. If you look at um, you know, Ivory, Ivory Coast, they had a large number of players who went and played abroad. So it was a very fluid thing for them and that was their pathway. I think um, some, some countries are a bit behind Egypt, for example, is a bit behind in that sense, but that actually helped the league develop because players, you know, 10, 15 years ago didn't want to, they didn't, you know, Abu Trika didn't, in his mind, didn't really care about going to Europe. He wanted to stay and that created a desire for players to, to want to stay in Egypt. And 
Well, that's the kind of the reason. I, and I think um, one one thing to talk about is coaching. I think coaching makes a big difference as well. Kind of they see that they can improve, and in Europe, they probably want to go there. Mohammed, you've played and based yourself across three continents. You've been in Africa. You've been in Europe. Actually, you've been in four. I include Asia and now North America as the four continents that you've been on. When we look at coaching in Africa and when we rank it compared to these, those other continents and those other leagues and clubs you've been involved in, where in your mind does it stack up? How good is the coaching on, 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 on the continent? Yes, I've been following most of the leagues in Africa, like uh, the South African League, the Egyptian League, Moroccan League, maybe Nigerian League as well. Well, uh, you can see a few coaches from Africa who are based in Africa and coach. But always I want to make references to Sierra Leone because I'm more focused in Sierra Leone. Um, I don't, okay, in Sierra Leone, for example, we don't have coaches. We don't have coaches. So we have managers and players, developers, people who develop players, people who manage the team, because it's more about management. The actual coaching, so 20 years ago, 15 years ago, when I was playing for the national team, and we used to have local coaches coach the national team. You always think that, okay, they're doing the right thing. They're very good coaches and now. But when you start going through the coaching courses from B license to pro license, and you start to realize that, okay, that was not the best. So you have to come out, come out and do your coaching courses and improve yourself, empower yourself. Then obviously that philosophy will change and then we will, we will help Africa to grow. I think most of the coaches like the Benny McCarthy, the Charles Akuno, who are coaching presently in my own side, they're doing great because they came out and had their license. So they have different version of the game. But if you just stay in Africa and just want to go with what is around you, I don't think it's, you're going to improve the game. We want to improve the game because we've seen different side of the game in the West, how they manage football, how they structure football with different game model. Moreover, now when the methodology is changing every day, every year we change methodology. So it's going to be difficult for us in Africa if we don't export our coaches, like we have to export our players to get experience, then go back home Put, on the, put in the right structure so at least we can coach our players the right way how to play soccer, how to play football. Because it's not just to play football, you have to play football the right way, how to work in their te techniques, their physical condition, and their mental strength as well. Francis, I know that you work with some teams, you work with some countries. Um, what is your perspective on, on, on the subject of coaching? And Courtney, feel free to chime in here too. The issue of coaching in Africa is... There may have been a time to make broad stroke statements about the absence of coaching, but I think it's a question of philosophy. And you will find out that we have coaching philosophies that place in certain teams, um, in certain countries for quite a while. And coaching is really down to individuals, it's schools of thought. There are people who believe in the Cruyff system, so like a Pep Guardiola, is a, he feeds of that philosophy. So you have clubs like Asset Mimosa, for example, in, in, in uh, the Ivory Coast. This is a club that produced the likes of the Kalu brothers, Bonaventure and Salomon, the Toure brothers. So these philosophies have existed in places like Generation Foot in Senegal or Diambar. Um, these places exist. TP Mazembe, even the, the academy at TP Mazembe, is really rooted not just in the physical training of its athletes. It's also heavily invested in the coaching, mental and physical. But I understand fully uh, what we we're talking about, about the ability to fit into the global market. And I think a lot of these pocketed spaces were there to feed a European market, colonial legacies. 
So if these coaches or the philosophy was in a space, usually it was served an economic model, usually depending on the colonial legacy of the country. So a country maybe that had a colonial legacy with France would be shaping place for the French Ligue 1. Uh, a, a colonial legacy with England would be shaping place for that space. But with the emergence of new markets like the MLS, that need talent, which is where our brother Mohammed finds himself, for example, what's important is our ability to bring it back to our question of how we retain. We need to also have a product domestically that we say we're training players for, for an entertaining game on the continent. But right now, a lot of the centers of excellence that we have are training talent or coaching talent for export. And it speaks to, again, the points that uh, Brother Callan made in terms of these team management managers who are there serving a business model that says we shape a boy by the time he's 17, 18, we're looking for where we're placing him in the international market. And now you have our African players playing in Uzbekistan, in, I mean, far flung parts of the globe, you will find an African boy playing simply because we don't have the domestic capacity to absorb the overflow of talent that we do have. So what we need is more investment in coaching, investment in our domestic leagues, and our talent will stay put. I think. I don't only think, uh, and just following on from what you're just saying there, Francis, uh, this, the talent will stay put, the talent is there, and the, the, the fact that the raw material is there, that is the other thing. I remember that was the term that George Graham used when he first met Lucas Ratebe and Phil Masinga. He said, he can't believe these rough diamonds were playing in that league. These are excellent players who could play anywhere across the world. But, I also know from when I was playing of players who did leave and hated it and came back within a month. Who were treated terribly, families weren't allowed to go along, were left at the airport for three, four hours. I know some horror stories of players going into Europe and not being happy and coming back uh, to the domestic league. And that is also something that needs to um, be looked at as well. Um, who says? moving will always be better. Um, Ahmed always tells us about within the Egyptian league. Uh, Yasser was telling us how the league financially caters at a very high level, so players won't leave. I'm wondering, Yasser and Mohammed, when you guys made your transition to Europe in various competitions, how did you find the coaching? How did you find that transition to playing overseas? Maybe we'll start with you, Yasser, and then we'll go to Mohammed next. Um, actually, it was big difference. As Muhammad mentioned before, that it's um, you are, for example, in Africa. When you go to Europe, you will different. You will see you will see different philosophy. You will see different style. You will see different uh, discipline and everything. So for me, it was first time for me when I go in 2001, 2002 to to Greece. I see it's something different, like Egypt. In Egypt, it was and this time it was okay. But in, in, in Greece, it was different. And the, the style of training, the system, the, everything is different. So, but it was, of course, for me, it was better. So, as Mohammed mentioned, um, I think it's better, the best thing, that to send some coaches to our countries to get some experience in Europe and to transfer this experience to the player. And about system, about everything, about camps, about training, about uh, uh, discipline. But if we transfer this experience with the right way to our country, I think with good money, the player will stay. Okay, um, as he, he, my brother mentioned, it's completely different. 
everything is different in terms of the game philosophy, the way they, they treat the game, the game model. The more difficult to say is the, the, the culture, the tradition, everything is different. So when you get there, the first thing they try to do is to change your mentality, change the way you, you think, to bring you back to them so you can use to their own system. So it takes you a long time for you to adapt to that system. And you had got to Italy when I was like 15, 16. So it was a difficult moment because I was all by myself and all. But they force you to believe in the ideology and philosophy. When you get that done, then you start playing different football, seeing different atmosphere and everything is different. Yeah, those transitions certainly take time. But I was wondering, and I've, I've, I've spoken about this a number of times before, was there a time when Africa's best players stayed on the continent? Was there a time our stars wanted to stay, get rooted, and then move on? And I know, Francis, this is something that we've spoken about in previous shows. Yes, it is. Um, I think there are multiple reasons to why our talent stayed. I mean, we were talking the last time and mentioning when great Mr. George, for example, left uh, Liberia and played in Cameroon, in the league in Cameroon before his move to, to Monaco with Mr. Wenger. Uh, there were multiple examples like this. We've been Africans just playing in different African leagues, but staying on the continent. But I think to understand that better, we must be able to understand the political economy of world football. There was also a time where people weren't, the freedom of movement of labor wasn't the same. Uh, the acceptance of a person to say, I will go into a space maybe where there are greater challenges. I remember having a conversation with one of our greatest goalkeepers from Cameroon, uh, Mr. Bell. Um, and he said uh, he had a challenge when he went to France because they told him the philosophy there was so hard for them to comprehend that a black goalkeeper could be the last man back. And so even though he was good, he struggled for game time at the beginning because the coaches would say to him, we can't trust a black keeper. And that is a philosophy that if you speak with a lot of coaches till today, it's a running theme that hasn't fully dissipated. And it's a subject for another day possibly. But these things, we had great African players who played on the continent. People like uh, Shegun Odaimi, a formidable player, never left the continent. In 1990, the Cameroon team that gave Cameroon its name, or that put us on the global map, was a majority of players who played in the Cameroonian League. Even at that time, the great Roger Miller was playing for Tonnerre Yaoundé at his ripe old age. Fair enough, it was retirement phase. But these gentlemen played at home. And we had a lot more of these examples. But the Cameroon team that went to the most recent World Cup, or even to the CAN in the AFCON in Egypt, probably had one player who played in the domestic league. That's a big change. And if we don't ask ourselves why and figure out how we can reverse this trend um, and we simply celebrate the fact that our national players now play for so-called uh, bigger clubs, but we have worse results on the pitch when we meet at these global games. So it's worth something us considering, I think. Uh, and, and we would also know that uh, looking at teams in the PSL in South Africa, in order for players to come into Europe, uh, the restriction is 75% of the of them playing for the national team. They have to have played 75% of those games. That's a very difficult stat for everybody to be able to hit. So things like that limit movement at the moment. So, but with that with that in place as well, the money would 
in South Africa has gone up so much in terms of sponsorships, in terms of um, looking at players now just not as players. Players are seen as superstars, uh, almost on the same level as rugby players in the country. You know, and rugby players are extremely well played in South Africa. So these players, why would you leave? I think it is a bit of a shift in time. Previously, I touched on it before, players were afraid of that cultural move. Um, I think, you know, you mentioned players getting left at airports and things like that. I don't think that would happen as much nowadays. But, the, the, for example, I think some players might, you know, not want to go for, you know, religion. They might see that as a, as a barrier. They might see the cultural difference. They're not used to different, you know, European countries. And that's why some players, uh, you know, previously stayed. Um, but then, yeah, I think it kind of it, it's 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 a combination of of the fact that the culture, the money, and also clubs and European clubs now have the. Um, you know, I know I've got a friend who works at West Ham as a player liaison. But, you know, clubs hire people to look after the players outside of the football pitch. That never happened previously, and that's why a lot of players would go to Europe. You know, struggle alone as a on their own and not have that support, and then have to come back. So now it's a bit different where they do have that support. I mean, there's no doubt um, the qualification criteria, the commercial pull, and also culture and religious le- reasons for keeping players on on, on the continent. Um, as we round up the discussion, my my final question, and we're going to go around the houses to get everyone's perspective here, is: Is there any way we can come up with a strategy? to keep our best on the continent and perhaps we can look at it a different way. We can always keep our best on the continent by bringing them back at the end of their careers. Again, we see this happen in South America. Carlos Tevez will passionately go and kiss the Boca Juniors badge and go and end his career there. Ronaldinho did the same when he went back to Brazil. So, there are different ways we can get our best onto the continent and hold on them for longer. And there are different ways we can do that. And I feel like maybe we can start with you, Yasser, to get your, to get your take on that. Um, I think the best way to keep our best in, uh, in our continent that to give them all the opportunity that they see in Europe, but with, with terms and conditions that it goes with our culture. So we spoke about some people that he can. For example, there's one great player in Egypt, Abu Treka. Everybody know him, and he didn't leave because he. There is a, there is many reasons that he don't leave. Maybe because of culture, maybe because of religion, maybe because he so close to his family and like that. So if we, all the things that the, the players that they see in Europe, if we bring it to our country, we can keep them. Bring coaches. That it's using it. We bring coaches with high level that we teach them how is the discipline, how is the everything to get the same system that in Europe, but in our country, so we can keep them. In terms of money, we can ask for support from businessmen, from companies, for to give them money, so they get all the things. They get the discipline, they get the, the new style, they get the money, and they can stay in their country. And and in terms that if some of one of them is became a for example, he's a big, big, big star, and they can go to Europe. For example, like Salah, like uh, Nene from Egypt, like many players. If they go or from Africa, when they come back, as you mentioned, Ronaldo, they come back to their country to bring back all this experience and help the countries. Yes, um, as you guys are saying, I mean, you guys are great experts in football and African football. 
But um, as um, what Biasa is saying, football now is all about what you're seeing. So all these kids in Africa, based on what they're seeing, they admire Cristiano Ronaldo, the Messi life, and what they're seeing. Like when I was a young boy, I used to admire George Weah was my idol, and Ujamila. Jamila. I always want to be like Jamila. I want to be like um, George Weah. But from Sierra Leone, there is no good example of players that stayed in Sierra Leone. Great players like the Joseph Toby, the Polis say these are Mazola, Ishmael Daifan. These are all great players who compete at the highest level in Africa. But they stood at home, they stayed home, played their whole career, and now they can't even afford to sustain themselves. So it's not a good example for the young boys coming in, seeing those type of players, they'll say, no, I don't want to stay home because I'm going to be like them. So it's better yeah, get the opportunity to go out and play outside and come back and sustain my family. I, I think um, the, one, the one interesting about this, we have to kind of compare to, for example, Asia, where the Asian leagues have a lot more money. Um, but the one thing they do struggle with is fans. They don't have that as much support as we do in Africa. I think we're very lucky in the sense that we have a, a lot of clubs have a large fan base. Um, there can be a lot of loyalty from players. And I think that that's a starting point. When you have a club that's got history and heritage and players actually want to go and play for that club, that can be one of the things that we need to kind of, uh, you know, that, that, one of the factors. I think one of the biggest things is coaching. There needs to be good coaching. Um, and, and I think that leads on to, in order to be able to get those good coaches, you have to have good sponsorship deals, good, a good club with good financials. But that's the problem. A lot of clubs just can't get that. And, and I think that's where um, it's the difficulty is, unfortunately, there is just less money, you know, compared to in Europe or in Asia. But there has to be kind of, somebody has to think of a solution for that. You know, I, I keep thinking that it's, it's not a one-sentence answer. This. I think there's such a, a tale of ingredients on why the players um, uh, will need to stay and also why players leave. I think this the fan base is huge. That's a thing that um, Ahmed just mentioned. Our fans uh, hail these, these these players as such uh, superstars. Then you have the personal touch, as was spoken about before. You know, where players are really looked after, their families are looked after. There's that security that a player does not need to worry about. Then there's also the opportunity to improve as a player. You move into a different league. You get a different perspective you improve, become better as well. And you put all that together and that, that's, that's what helps make a decision. So if that exists in our local games, in our local teams, in our, where we are from, players won't, won't leave. But if you just look at the crime level, and this is a totally different topic, look at the crime level in South Africa in regards to England. So you telling me where the player has the opportunity to leave, he's going to think twice about it. Look at the exchange rate between South Africa and England. At the moment, it's 23 to 1. My mother's very happy when I send money home. Look at that. These are opportunities. <laughs> Can are you send me some money, Courtney? <laughs> I don't need to say. I wish I was a pound behind you. Um, it, it, all these things put together uh, is what makes it a, a player decide whether he should leave or stay. Um, so it's not just one thing. Valid point, Courtney. Um, Francis, would you like to take us home uh, and summarize before we end the big talk of this week? I think it's a, it's definitely just like Courtney just said, it, there isn't one solution to it. But I think if we understand that what we lack in our space is 
platform a shining example, it almost leads me back to our conversation of last week, because then it reinforces the need for us to have a product. And if that product is a super league that goes across the continent, what it needs is we need talent, which we know we have. We need investment and we need a platform that can showcase examples that young players can dream of being a part of. Calon is already doing that. And I think if more of our luminaries bring the experience back into the game for the benefit of Africa, we would see a lot more resources. FC Calon is a fine example of a person saying as an individual, here's my bit I can do. But the ability to open that up into a business module, he may struggle with having his team function in Sierra Leone. But maybe that format is the format of a team that may be able to apply itself to another superstructure that understands this, his frustrations from his experiences and why the administrative bodies we have in place maybe don't understand that. That's why I really think we need something new. I really think we need to go back to the drawing board and come up with something that will excite another generation of Africans. And it needs talent, we have. It needs investment, we can get that because we have the money. What we need is a platform that can showcase all of these things in one place so that the grandchildren or the son of Wayne Rooney can say, I want to play my next game or my career. It needs to be on the continent of Africa because it's beautiful. It's exciting. It's vast. It's different. It loves the game. So we won't have problems with bucks and seats at stadia. And we have the money. Sorry, Zane. And I I've just got to say this because Mohammed brought this up earlier as well, you know. And also, when the footballer has retired, you know, and, and he's no longer in the game. Also, that level of respect that he must be able to still be able to look after himself financially as well. That, that, that should not uh, ever be the case where you see these great footballers who are um, struggling to make ends meet. That, that doesn't happen here in England. That does not happen. The footballers are very well looked after. And this is one of the things that needs to be put in place on our continent as well, that, okay, when, you, when your career is over, you, you either should have earned enough money or there should be something further for you within the game to help you sustain a good standard of living. Because your, your star should not burn out when you stop playing. What, what a wonderful sentiment and way to, to end our big talk this week. Thank you to everyone. Thank you to Mohammed for dialing in very early in Houston. Yes, sir, for joining us. Ahmed, Francis, and Courtney as per normal. Now, gentlemen, before we go, I have a little quiz for us. And the quiz is going to be a question to all the panelists, bar Mohammed. Mohammed is the only one who's not allowed to answer. So here's the question. Who are the top five African scorers in Serie A? So I'm going to give you all 30 seconds to write down your list of top five scorers if you want, Mohammed, you can play along. I don't mind you playing along too. Um, even though you is might this, have some insight. Yeah, top five African scorers in Syria. No Googling. I'm going to trust you guys not to Google. If you can't give me top I, five, give me top three. That's okay. I, 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 can, I can give you a top. Yeah. <laughs> okay, can you think about it? I tell you what, no, no, wait, wait, wait. I'm going to start with youth first. And given that um, Ahmed is so young, but he's got the best beard out of all of us on the call, Ahmed, give me your top three or your top five African top scorers in Syria starting now. I'm not sure if it's the top three, but three of the ones I would, I'd say. Mohamed Salah, Eto'o, 
and Mohammed Kalong. That's that's the three that I'd, I'd go for. Okay, I got your list. I'll tell you in a bit. Francis, you're bibbing to go. You go next. <laughs> um, George Weyer, top. Uh, Mr. Kalong, second. I know there's some Senegalese brother, but I can't remember his name, and I should have looked it up. And I know Eto, because I know Eto always had his eye on Mr. Kalong's record, because we used to joke about it. I- I'm not going to give you the answer just yet. Courtney, defender... Today's Essex Spirit Cup winner, Freeze. Give me your list. I'm going with the president himself, Mr. George Ware, number one. Uh, after that, uh, Samuel Eto, number two. Mohamed um, Salah, number three. And then I'm going to throw Phil Masinga in there somewhere because he played for Bari and was scoring goals for fun in Italy. I don't know. I think he was sick. <laughs> he never scored like that for sundowns. So, for goodness sake. You leave Chipper Masinga alone. He got us into the 1998 World Cup with a banger of a goal. And I love him for that. Um, Yes, sir, would you like to have a crack? Do you want to give me your top five or your top three? Uh, I will not mention Salah because he's my friend and I love him so much. So I'll go with (laughs) George Weah, Eto, and Mr. Kalon. Ooh. Um, so you've given me four names. Do you want to give me one other? Or are you happy to just stick with your four? No, it's this four, yeah. Okay. Mr. Kellon, this is unfair, but we're going to ask you, do you, do you want to give me your top five? Do you have any idea who's on the list? Uh, top five? Uh, top three for sure will be um, Mr. George Ware, Mohamed Kellon, uh, Samuel Eto. Um, I think Obafemi Martins, Salah, and then this goes on and on. Coming in, uh, coming in last place is Ahmed Youssef. Um, Ahmed got correct, Salah, Eto, and Kalon, but he only gave me three, not five. Uh, coming uh, just above him is Francis who gave, was correct with Weah, Kalon, Eto, and he named a Senegalese player, which is correct. So I'm going to give you a half mark. You get three and a half out of five. Uh, Courtney actually finished just behind you because he got three out of five. Masinga is in the top 10 goal scorers. He's actually at number nine, but he's not in the top five. So you got three of the, three of the five, Courtney. Yasser was, was, was excellent. And so was Mr. Kellon. They got four out of the five. Um, the one that you got wrong, Mohammed, was Obafemi Martins. He was not in the top five, but he's in the top ten. So we'll do it from fifth to first. In fifth, with 35 goals, is Egypt's Mohamed Salah. And he's tied with uh, Cameroon Samuel Eto. So really, they tie fourth. In third is Senegal's Kamu Babakar. Yes. 38 goals. Yes. You remember him? Yes. <laughs> I knew I just couldn't remember. In second is the great Mohammed Kellon, who's sitting with us today. And in first is our president, George Ware. <laughs> For coming first, Yasser and um, Mohammed, the next time you're in London, well, and you're here, Yasser, you get to join the team after lockdown for free Nando's meal because that's where we traditionally meet after the podcast. So we like to keep the theme 
African and Nando's is African food. So, um, yes, sir, you'll be able to join us after lockdown because you're here. Um, I might have to send you a little card in Houston. Do you, do you have Nando's there, uh, Mohammed? <laughs> you don't have it here. Have you eaten Nando's? Do you like Nando's? Yeah, I'm always in London. I like Nando's so bad, but we don't have it here in Houston. We have it in, uh, in uh, Washington, D.C. Okay. Ah, okay. so my my wife's from Chicago, and we've had it this, and 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 I was so excited when I saw it. It was near the Cloud Gate, the Bean. I remember it so well. Sorry, yes sir. What were you gonna say? No, I just want to say to Muhammad. Uh, by the way, I play in, in Egypt with a player from Sierra Leone. I love them so much, and I love Sierra Leone because of this player, Amidu Karim Abu Bakr. Yeah. And okay. I, I still remember them and I still contact with them. I really love them so much. And I have many stories about Sierra Leone from them. Oh, then definitely I have to keep this video. You have to send me this video so I can keep it. Because Amidou Karim is the head coach of FC Cologne right now. Yes, I play with Amidou oh. I, I Wow. Play with FC Cologne. Oh. Three years, three years was Amidou Karim. If you tell Amidou Karim Yasser Shanawani, he will tell you a... a I was always with him, and he come to my home, to home, Alexandria, and we were always together. I love him so much. I'm going to call him right now. I'm going to call him and tell him. Okay. <laughs> Guys, this is why we love this podcast, because we connect, we meet. And um, listen, it's been a fabulous discussion. Thank you for joining us, Mohammed. Thank you for joining us, Yasser. So great that you've linked, and you'll stay in touch after this. So Ahmed, Francis, and Courtney, always a pleasure. Um, can you bring can you bring Yasser back quick so I can take his picture? Absolutely, we're not gonna we're not gonna cut this off just yet. But um, <laughs> thank you guys so much. As they say in Sierra Leone, I'm gonna do my best to say goodbye in the way they say it in Creole. Adego. <laughs> okay, I will see you later. <laughs> ciao, ciao, bye. <laughs>